Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to another edition of the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed Podcast Show. You're welcome. Broadcasting from Edinburgh, Scotland, across the globe. You're listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed, the people's podcast. Here to rock the podcast world. Hello, good afternoon, evening, morning, wherever you are in the world. This is the Ramsey from an, another edition of the Hatchick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast show. We are interviewing Ryan Miller. Ryan Miller deals with internet child safety and is a very, how would you put it, is very involved in it. It's so deep. This guy is armed to the teeth. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in an, in an action movie or the expendables, but this guy certainly is armed to the teeth when it comes to the people, the opposition he gets regarding this. He is uh, totally involved in making sure that children are safe on the internet and from the people that are out there, the evil, I'd probably say the trolls, but I'll probably label them as terrorists because they they turn up at the wrong time and technically you want to take them out. So I want to say that, well, you might as well almost put them in par as they're like ISIS. But anyway, we won't go into that in our never go into that in our time. Anyway, welcome Ryan Miller to the Hatrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast show and thank you for coming on and letting letting us interview you. Well letting me interview you anyway. <laughs> well I thank you so much for the opportunity to to meet with you and your audience and uh, share a little bit about my my mission and vision about keeping kids safe on the internet. Okay. First we're gonna start off Tell us about yourself. Who is Ryan Miller? Who are you? Yeah, that's a complex question, even though it sounds pretty easy. Okay. Um, I, I self-identify as a, a Myers-Briggs personality type indicator as a, an ESTJ. So I'm very much an extroverted individual, uh, very much thinking. I am a serial entrepreneur, which means that I have started businesses, I've grown them, and I've sold them. And I don't know what the opposite of an entrepreneur is when they go and succeed and they fail at equal, equal contrast uh, that I've suffered uh, in one of my ventures to be litigated for over $250 million and have death threats on my family's life because of the technology that I brought into the world. So okay. very, very diverse background in business, um, specializing in in telecommunications and technology, thus giving me a platform to have wisdom on the passion that I have about technology and keeping children safe. What made you, I mean, what's your, tell us a bit about your background. Hey, obviously you're growing up where you were brought up, where you were obviously born, sure. you were born. What was life like in the Ryan Miller kind of general life, going to school? Yeah, and, and that's, like? That's that's a good that's a good thing. That's kind of the background that the my background kind of groomed me for where I am today. So it is an important element. Um, I grew up in the Mid Atlantic states. I generally don't refer to the specific areas where I grew up because of my visibility on the internet. But I grew up in the Mid Atlantic portion of the United States, um, in a very kind of white collar family. Um, I was raised in a household household of love. Um, when I was around 
nine years old, 10 years old, my parents adopted a child. So I had an adopted sibling uh, at around nine with a nine year age difference. Growing up in that environment, I experienced some personal trauma that was around the age of 13, uh, which was not related to family. It was related outside the family, but that trauma affected me. I had some other events happen in the teen years where I was forced to grow up very rapidly. And I, I wound up spending a summer traveling around Europe uh, at 13 under the guidance of an alcoholic grandfather. And I pretty much had to meander my way through Europe, toting a, a completely inebriated man. So I, I learned and saw things that a 13 year old shouldn't necessarily experience. Um, had subsequent trauma in my later teens. What, what, was, my parents, the, what was the trauma, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, the, the trauma was uh, a sexual, sexual in nature. Okay. That was not perpetrated by a family member, but it was perpetrated by a community that I had to continually go back into. Okay. And I was not vocal with my parents as to what happened until late into my 20s. Okay. That, that trauma I, I dealt with through therapy um, much later, but that, that experience gave me visibility into seeing children that had harm on them in various degrees, not necessarily sexual in nature, maybe physical in relation, uh, nature or emotional. Uh, I had a lens to see that. And growing up, I wound up being kind of like a sounding board or shoulder for kids that were in that pain. Um, I, I supported a tremendous amount of youth group and outreach activities. I did other ministries and wound up being I guess, a sounding board for kids in pain. And I wound up aligning them with services to get the help that they needed. So this is while you were sort of, you're obviously, while you're traveling through Europe and things, this is, you went through a bit of kind of, obviously went through stuff yourself. It opened your eyes to kind of what goes out, out there. And yes. this is how you're dealing with it. And you became a sort of, yeah, you became the shoulder to cry on for yes. the people who have suffered from that already or going through it. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I became an advocate for kids that were experiencing various levels of harm. And as I moved through my career, um, based upon my travels, I, from each of the businesses that I was involved in, I did a fair amount of travel. And I would be in environments during travel that I would, be, I would see people in trauma, and my heart would go out to help those in trauma. Just that wasn't my mission, but that was just how things kept lining up in front of me. And going through different careers and businesses, um, this was always tugging at my heart, but I didn't have it. It didn't have a mission behind it. I had a compassion towards it, but not a mission. And not until the past couple of years did that mission really get into focus. A trauma that happened in my own home, not physical, but something that was on the internet something on the internet grabbed my daughter. And when I went during the exploration as to what grabbed her and how it grabbed her and what they were doing, it, it opened my eyes to something that I had no real comprehension on how dangerous it was. Okay. And that, that was the launching point for where I am today. So what made you decide to be an entrepreneur? Well, and that, that's a good question. When yeah. I was doing my businesses, I had all these different ideas and 
uh, on how a business should be run from the ethics, the morals, and the financial standpoint. So when I was going down this path and had explored how to keep children safe on the internet, I thought, is this a corporation type of objective or is this more of a personal mission? So I, I knew that a corporation with this mission would be meeting corporate objectives. And I thought, let me bring my previous experience of being independent, a self-starter, building teams, that this particular venture would be much better served by me bringing my own charisma experience, opening myself up to others to speaking into me. But that was kind of my entire journey is to um, be that self-starter and have other people speak into it. Did you, obviously leading up doing entrepreneurship, did, were you, did you get your regular kind of growing up, did you get your regular job working maybe in a McDonald's or Burger King, for example, just until you get to build up your business, et cetera? Yeah. Or that's, that's yeah. So my, I was self-employed. Mm-hmm. I started doing things on my own when I was 13. So okay. my parents instilled upon me, if you want to buy nice clothes or you want that pair of expensive sneakers or whatever it was, that you had to go out and earn that money yourself. So first thing I did is I was cutting lawns and then I got enough money for a bicycle. So I get the bicycle and I would ride my bike to the local mall at 14 and I wound up getting work at the local mall. And I just started my own, I worked at a very young age and then I started my my first business. I started when I was 19 okay. and I've done it ever since. So- during your obviously set, during your setting up of a being an entrepreneur, what was the most challenging moment in your career or life, and why? The the most the most challenging piece of being an entrepreneur and and starting on your own. Well, it definitely it's money. So you have to figure out how to be creative in in gaining the the financial resources to to move forward, um, and being willing to recognize you're not the smartest person in the room. So that you may have a great idea, but the idea is meaningless without the execution. So I, my greatest learning came when the idea was great, but people are saying, you're, got, you're not gonna get anywhere unless you have your execution phase. So submitting to others and speaking about how to go through the execution, the, 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 the goal for success. Okay. So during your what, what kind of things? What makes you, what makes you happy? What's your, as you say, your sweet spot? What's, what do you do for fun? What's your, when you're not sort of racking your brains doing so much business, and you're focusing on what you're doing now, which we'll get to that in, in a second and later in, as the interview goes on. Um, what make what what kind of hobbies do you have? Are you kind of you sit in the, you're a gamer or you got the movies? You sit and have coffee or what's what 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 is a general Joe blogs like Ryan Miller do. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, so I, I married and I have a, a teenage girl. So that's very important to me is my relationship with them. So when I'm not working, I'm spending time with my wife, I'm spending time with my daughter, or I'm spending time together and my family. But if I were to not be in that environment, I would much rather have a cup of coffee and be immersed in, in a book. Uh, I have played video games and I have um, a background in, in the video game space, 
And I find that as a casual form of entertainment, but I, I really derive pleasure by being immersed in a good book. I set a goal for myself to um, read a book every day. That was my goal for this year. So I have not achieved, I've not achieved that goal, but right now I've, I think I've written 42 books so far this year. Okay, 42 books. Yeah. I'm guessing it's on the topic that you're doing at the moment, yes? Yeah, I'm I'm inv involved in a book. Yes, that's that's what I do in my downtime. I'm I've got my hands. I I prefer paper. I'm not a digital book reader, so I like to be in paper and smelling it and turning the pages, so I can take my pen and make notes on it. My books look like are a mess because I dog ear them and I make notes in them. They're it's a living document to me. So basically, the books that you read and the books that you so you take notes from the books in a sense that so you can write your own books. Yes. Yes, I have a book that I am. In process of writing right now. How many books are you have you written? You say you've you've read forty two, or you've writ written forty two? No, I haven't written forty two. No, no, I do have a. My house is a, a library, so um, I was very fortunate that a friend of mine had a significant library that he was looking to donate and have a legacy for, and he was very kind of himself to allow me to be the custodian of his library. So my library consists of over 30,000 books. Wow. My goodness. Yeah, it's, it's a, a significant library. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a gift and a half. That's a lot of reading. Anyway. <laughs> so now just, okay. What's the one, one, well, what's the one thing or uh, what do you think is so risen or uh, two or I'm trying to understand you. You sent me a question. But I'm not sure if it, you, you maybe mistyped it. So I'm going to. I may have. You That's have, not a problem. Uh, it's what's the one thing that you have risen to or from? It's probably thing and not think, but or what kind of what what's the sure, one thing that I have? Yeah, I have triumphed over. So yeah. one of the things when I when I had one of my businesses that uh, completely was going down the tubes. Okay. Um, I I had developed a, a technology in the video gaming space. Okay. And. This was um, this very valuable and powerful tool, and it was a very successful business. But in corporate and government America, it was it was a problem. So a, an organization sued me, and I could not defend it financially. I could defend it legally in that I was the the law was on my side, but I did not have the pockets to fight that. And this organization. So what, pretty much. What was the reason why they sued you? Well, because you you made some obviously product, but was it a, yes. kind of similar to what they had done, or what was the reason? Well, they were they were claiming things relative to uh, patent and trademark infringement, okay, which did not exist. And the laws in the United States say when you have a patent or trademark infringement claim, you have to prove you're inner, innocent. It's opposite. Typically, in the courts, you're guilty until proven innocent. You're innocent until proven guilty. In patent law, it's the other way. You're guilty until you prove your innocence. And the fight for the innocence was more than I could take. So, if I had the financial resources, I could prevail. But there was another component to that, which mean meant that I couldn't fight the fight, and that was the industry. And the government, either directly or indirectly, was involved in having death threats issued against myself, my daughter, and my family. 
and to the point where I had physical loss of property, damage to property, people showing up at my home, threatening harm. And at one point it was so bad that um, the law enforcement were certainly involved, but I had to move my residence because the threats were becoming real and, and verifiable. So the, who were the people that are threatening you? Was it obviously the company that were trying to take you to court? There was, well, that, that was very difficult to, to attach. Right. Um, because they were very creative in who was coming to issue those threats and actions. Those people, some of those people did wind up in jail. So there were two people that were in prison because they, they were exposed. Uh, others were not identified. But the, the third objective was to make me go away, to not contest the, the lawsuit, not to fight the lawsuit, and to just disappear. So that is what happened that I had to, I, I made the decision that I was not going to fight this because my family's life was more important than fighting this fight. And I removed myself from that financially and I lost everything financially. I had this, it was a reset of life. I'm one of the very, I'm, well, I am the only one in my state that has ever had to go to bankruptcy court under the escort of a federal marshal because I had threats against my life. So that's very, very unusual to have that kind of security in a bankruptcy hearing. Okay. So that was my learning in that. I didn't, I didn't conclude the learning. When I was in that spot, Frazier, uh, all of my resources were taken away. Right. And I had to depend upon others. And when I had to depend upon others, that was for clothes, that was for food, that was for gas, a car, and for me to receive people's sharing was hard. So my greatest learning came when I was able to allow other people to love upon me when I have been able to love upon them and that I had to let myself receive that and not feel guilty about it. So my greatest learning was that, being able to be cared and loved for by other people. What's a great book that you've uh, read or what, what's kind of book you've obviously you've, you've touched on books so far and what's the what, what kind of book that you've read so far or out of the many books that you've read yep. inspired you going forward? I have, I have two. Um, I, the things that I do and then the decisions that I make and the actions that I take, I hold captive to one book. I hold all of my thoughts and actions and views based upon the Bible. So that's, that's in a very, that's my number one book that, but the non aside from that, my next favorite book is by a, a particle physicist by the name of Fritoff Capra. And it was called the turning point. And it deals with systems theory. Now it's the two are, are definitely divergent type of books, but there is synergy between systems theory and the Bible, which that is why it's my favorite. That book is my favorite. Okay. So what made you choose the Bible to read? Is it, do you have a, is it because your, your faith or is it a, a personal choice? It, it is, it's, it's my, it is definitely the foundation of my faith. It's the way that I have the ability to have a platform that I can stand on, that I can declare truth on what I say about various topics that I hold things captive to the foundation of truth that's revealed in that book. And then, then I can have discussions with people that have a different foundation 
that I can discuss it. So at least people know where my foundation comes from whenever I get involved in the discussion. But that book is kind of like my my guiding point, my compass. What's your favorite social media network um, for your business? What's your what's your best platform that you say that you use to get you going? Yeah, that's that's good. Um, actually, this platform is one of them. Blab is a great platform for me to to get a, a certain audience and to take a copy of this and, and share it with people. So the discussion that happens inside the Blab forum is fantastic. The other one is uh, Periscope. As strange as that may seem, that is a very it's very much a lecturing platform that I stand behind a video screen and I just speak, and it has interactivity based upon people commenting. But that has been pretty much um, a very strong platform for my particular message to get out to a broader audience. Now, that's because I'm acting in an entrepreneurial type of mind. If I were to have financial resources, I would probably deviate from that communication platform. But as an entrepreneur, you use social media tools to help increase your visibility. And Periscope is one. Blab would be two. What keeps you motivated? Which obviously... We're going to come to the, the nitty-gritty shortly, but what you are doing at the moment, this is just to get the kind of foundations of who you are, so when people are listening to this, they're going to understand who, what, who Ryan Miller is. So what kind of things sure. motivate you in life at the moment, or what keeps you motivated to doing what you're doing? What keeps me motivated is the ability to affect change. At whatever degree, I'm able to affect change. So when it when we get into what I do and why I do it, the motivation is that when I'm able to help a parent or help a child be aware that there's a different direction that they could go, that is my motivation. Get your tips for the community later on. We're going to come to the nitty gritty stuff. Uh, you've discussed, obviously, you're a bit of a, you're an entrepreneur. You've uh, succeeded in businesses. You've failed in businesses uh, at a young age. You're involved in internet child safety. Obviously, you've told us briefly how it kind of started when you were younger. But how did it really start? And how, tell us that you can be as blunt as you really you feel you want to answer. You can be as tame, depending on how you want to, what you feel to talk, talk about. But obviously, this is a, a big subject uh, in the world today. It's... Uh, it happens all over the world where, where ch kids are groomed um, by people all over the, the world on the internet. There was a recent story that um, in the news in Britain that a, a, para, I think it was a, a paramedic or somebody who took care of somebody who flew 5,000 miles on a plane to who groomed a 10-year-old and picked the 10-year-old up from her house took her somewhere and raped her basically and now he's in jail so that just proves how the lengths what people will go through just to, oh my gosh to basically to obviously for this to happen so tell us when was the key point that got you started on this road of internet child safety how did how did you get involved because you have had from what i've been known of you recently you've had a lot of opposition but we can you can come to that as you tell you unfold the story so sure sure so th there was there was one defining moment um that was 
I was in one particular business and I was, this is just to feed my family. And I was involved in a client consultation in their home. And I was meeting with the husband and wife and the child was not part of the conversation. And, and I was talking business with them. I was there to help them design something, provide them a solution. And, and it, it was understood at the end of that conversation, there would be a signature at the bottom of a piece of paper and a transfer of money. That was, that was the expectation. When I got into that discussion, the young girl came from downstairs. She was 13 years old. And there was, there was obvious conflict between the child and the parents relative to her need to be connected to the internet. And the parents were hesitant to have this discussion in front of me, but it, there was friction. And I was sitting there witnessing this happen in, in front of me. And I was, I was, I had two choices to make. One, to ignore it and continue on my objective of closing a business deal, or two, be sensitive to what was going on. So I chose the latter. And I approached the parents and I said, listen, this is, this is maybe none of my business, but I see that there's some real contention between your, you and your child about what's going on in the internet. And I have some technology background. Is there a way that I can help you? And then the conversation went into their child being addicted to the internet, them not having, don't, don't know what to do to how to keep them safe and blah, blah, blah. They went, they went through their technology fears and limitations as to what they can't do to keep their child safe. And I said, well, if you're amicable to it, I will take the business discussion and put it on hold and we can have this conversation about things that I can do right now to help you keep your child safe. And they said, that would be fantastic. So I spent the next hour and a half talking to them, going to their computers, going to their router and doing things to increase their child's safety. And then I said to them, if you would like, I'd be willing to broker a conversation between your child and you about keeping them safe. And they were amicable to that. So they called their daughter downstairs and I brokered a conversation. And I have done this in role playing several times when I do my presentations. And then I said to the child, listen, first of all, your mom and dad love you very much. They're They've had a meeting with me and they shared that they have some concerns about what you may be doing, where you may be going on the internet. And she kind of looked at it at me in a, a little strange way. And she says, why? I said, I'm, I, there's no why. They just have a concern as to what's, what you may be involved in. And she got a little weepy. And she said, well, Mr. Miller, yes, there's been some things lately that have been pretty dangerous and I didn't know how to do anything about it. I said, well, we're going to do something about it today. And we went through a conversation that I say this all the time. Kids want freedom, but they want their parents to love them in action by keeping them safe. But the children never ask for the parents to keep them safe. They want the parents to have the energy to do something to show that they love. So... I facilitated that where the parents were able to show love and action to their child to keep them safe. And the relationship dramatically changed with the family hugging each other, me hugging the family and the kid, and that this child now knew that the parents were active to keep her safe. Now this happened a number of years ago and I still have relationship with that family on how to keep them safe. 
So that was just an anecdote of my life journey. But what really hit the crescendo with me was when something happened to my daughter through one social media platform. And it was vile. It was disgusting. And when I went and did research to find out how deep this went with my particular daughter, now she didn't do anything inappropriate. It was just based upon my worldview. It was not respectful of herself, but it wasn't bad. But to me, it was bad. And when I went and found this individual, I found this individual had been a predator for over 26 teenage girls with an inventory of sexually illegal information. This person was not a minor, is now in prison, but he had been violating over 26 young children. When it happened to me, I thought, was this a one-off? And is this just pure circumstance that I found an individual that was part of a circuit of 26 violations? And I went and I said, I got to find out more on this topic. And I went down an incredibly deep hole of research, study, reading, and interviews. I interviewed school superintendents, teachers, counselors, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, attorneys, law enforcement, judges. I, I went to everybody that could share some insight on this. Then I went down the technology hole and I talked to technologists and security, security people in IT, went back into my other technology resources. And when I, when I came, when I emerged out of that hole, I thought, this is insane that parents have such limited knowledge in how broad it is, what the legal implications are, how the corporations indemnify themselves. And it was such a multi-geared system that nobody knew one gear, let alone how all the gears went together. And that was the foundation of what I started doing in accumulating all this information, creating lessons about it, that I started to do a public circuit of conversations in um, different environments, school environments, small groups, athletic groups, things of that nature, that I started to bring this message to head. So I want to stop talking for a second. Did it, am I giving you kind of a good good summary oh, at this point? It's good. This is a... Uh... Now you, you've got this it's a nice foundation building up to what you've uh, what you've done. Obviously, this is how it led. It's all kicked off. Um, now, how long? How many years have you been doing this now? How, how many years have you been involved? So it it's been evolving. So I've been doing this for about four years, but the the presence in which I've emerged out of because I'm kind of a malleable person. Uh, it's been really. 18 months that this new package is, is coming forward. So since the, since you basically how the, obviously the beginning of it and how it's gradually growing arms and legs, um, what kind of, you obviously you're doing a lot of talks, you're reaching out to a lot of schools, you're reaching out to maybe even the police and you're reaching out to educate, not just police in America, but you're reaching out to probably police in the UK as well and elsewhere and elsewhere. Tell us the, uh, Give us the challenges you're facing because you're doing something 
Now, the, there's a lot of trolls out there. Now, as I said at the beginning, I'm going to call these trolls terrorists because that's what they like. They like terrorists. You, do, you want to get rid of them. They're, going to, they're, they're, they're there to cause a problem. They're there to uh, shut you down. They're there to because you're doing something that they're obviously doing which is wrong. And that can be, they're basically obviously the grooming how do you put it, the grooming saga um, which is out there of kids on the internet what opposition have you had and what's the, what's the you're getting a lot of opposition what's the opposition you've had during the course of starting this and you've had a obviously you're out there to create awareness and to create a point and to help families help people out there to stop internet grooming of children children you, you've obviously come a lot, you've hit a lot of brick walls. People are trying to stop you, but you keep breaking them down. So how, tell us your, tell us these stories. So my wife is uh, summoning me to help get the groceries out of the car and I needed to text her. I will do that in a moment, sweetie. My <laughs> <laughs> well, um, wife calls, you're going to say, sorry, not this time. <laughs> yes, that's right. The, um, so there is a tremendous amount of things that are happening on the internet that are absent of visibility, awareness. So um, let me take a, a step back. Sure. About a couple of weeks ago, there was a, an event called Safe Internet Day in which people across the globe were on various platforms. They were on public TV, private TV, on social media platforms, speaking on the topic of Safe Internet Day. And I, I rallied around that cause and all of the things that I, were, I was seeing happen on that day were targeting on what are dangerous applications, what is disruptive behavior, the trolls that are happening on the internet, which um, the dangers about leaving your location settings on. And they did, they did a fabulous job bringing that into the awareness of the general public. But it, on that particular day, I took a different approach because I feel with my audience, I had enough credibility to take it into the heart of the matter. And that's where I'm going to take you right now. Okay. The heart of the matter is absent of any parent's oversight on what a child is doing. Any claim that they make about what their children are doing on the internet is fabrication. Now I'm going to try to say that in an easier way that a parent saying that my child is safe on the internet can only be true if they see what their child is doing on the internet. There's a report from CNN that was done from a film called Being There, Being 13, I'm sorry, Being 13, where they traveled with 13-year-old parents and kids for a period of time, and they were tracked what the parents thought of their kids' safety. 94% of parents reported that their kids were safe on the internet based upon two criteria. One, how much time the children were connected to the internet and where their children went in their internet history. Those were the two metrics in which parents reported their kids were safe. Those two indicators only tell us how long they're there and where they went. Doesn't tell us the applications they went into, but it gives us no indication of what the children are doing or experiencing. So those metrics have no basis to say my children is safe. My, my challenge has been that parents say their children are safe and have no evidence to support that claim, 
when they hear me speak about how dangerous it is and I bring all the evidence forward, they will agree with the evidence. And even when I reflect their own internet activities, they will recognize the evidence. But they immediately disengage from listening to my messaging because they feel it's judgmental. And that they feel that I am judging their role as a parent, which I do not. I, my messaging is all about parents. We do the best we can with what we know, where we are, and good job. But I provide additional awareness. And when I bring that awareness to the table, the internal critics say, he's telling me I'm a bad parent. And it's really an excuse for them to take action and do something because they don't want that friction with their child. So what we identify as these trolls, I call them unsubs, and the, the diverse bad behavior that they manifest, and I warned us before we came online that that could happen. Fortunately, we didn't see it. You call them unsubs, I'm guessing you're watching Criminal Minds. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Oh these are unidentified people. But my, my, the reason I call them that mm-hmm. is because they are not orphans. All of these children that are behaving in this way are somebody's child. Mm-hmm. But 94% of people say my child is safe. Well, that is in conflict when you have all of this disruptive behavior. They can't say that's not my child. Well, how do you know it's not your child? You don't see what your child is doing. How can you claim that is not your child or your neighbor's child? You, there's, there's no ability to make that statement. And that is the biggest hurdle that I encounter with my messaging that I'm here to speak truth and love to help parents keep their kids safe with tools and resources to do that, that they are, they're resistant for whatever reason that they they're using an excuse to not do something. It's very sad. You think a lot of the parents, the reason why they're making an excuse to not to help their own kids is maybe because there's a, a history of this happening in their own lives? Well, there's been, I've been reading a, a, a couple of books in this area of talking about the parent-child relationship and that there's been a fundamental shift in the hierarchy of the family relationship and that children now have a voice and a say in what happens inside that home, that the parent is now in a relationship with a friend with their child, not a parent with the child. So the child has the ability of influence in the family as opposed to the parents being in the area of leadership. And when that happens, when that friendship starts happening as opposed to the parenting relationship, children have more power and that they are not, they're, in, they're expected to have this kind of access. The parents, they're, they have a sense of entitlement and an immediacy and impulse that the parents meet them with that impulsivity. And when that the relationship is a friendship base, the parents don't necessarily want to have the hard conversation about rules and boundaries and consequences. And they, they don't want to, they want to give their child their freedom to experience life on their own and they don't want to restrain them when restraint is a very good thing. Would you consider writing a book on maybe in some way or form like the easy steps of 
maybe maybe you're thinking about that or maybe the book you're looking to write anyway at the moment, maybe easy steps for parents to understand because you, you obviously you know the ins and outs of this and you've you're probably you're sure. like way ahead down the road and parents who are maybe just try under trying to even understand the concept. I I, I agree. And uh, Patricia made the comment. How do you sort of come to them without actually them getting too frightened off? And maybe there's a way that you need to maybe write a book and easy steps to say, listen, here's my book. It, I'm, I, I realize I'm probably way down the road to what you're trying to understand. This is probably going to baffle you. It's probably, it's probably, you're probably scared. You don't know how to handle yes. it. Maybe here is my book. Here's a small booklet to say, listen, this is simple steps. I, this is, it's not easy to take in, but here, read this and come back to me. And I, and I, I think that's a, a great approach. I, I do, um, and it, and it, and it actually echoes what Patricia made in the the sideline commentary, because it it goes into what is your objective outcome when you are a parent. If you're a if you're a, a husband and wife without children, your what is your objective plan in life? And unfortunately, many people go through life absent of what I'll call hit by a bus scenario or devastation scenario or objective outcome. So let me, re- let me rephrase that, that we have an entire generation that's moving through of people that have not invested in life insurance policies for their family. They don't have a will because they they don't think they're going to die yet. Yet everybody dies and we don't know when we're going to die. But that, that forward thinking was not part of their educational experience, being prepared and what are the different steps of preparedness you want to look at as you get older. When you get married, you're no longer responsible to yourself. You're responsible to someone else. You should consider insurance policies. You should consider a will. If you don't, here's the consequence of that. That's okay. Just be aware of the back and forth. You can do this and be prepared for it. If you don't do this, here's the consequence. The same, and that happens to people at different times in their life. Insurance may become something visible when they lose somebody and they're like, oh my gosh, that person was not prepared. I better do something to be prepared myself. So that kind of education about what is preparedness is one aspect of it. And that happens for different people at different times. The other is preparedness relative to when you bring a new life into the world with a child is that the proactive piece only really gets triggered when they see trauma from somebody else or they see trauma on their own and then they look to repair or restore. So the proactive efforts of humanity are very, for a very select few. It's a very select few that are gonna be proactive and have a plan for where they want to go. Retirement, that's another one. People do not have a proactive plan for what happens Based upon when they want to stop working, <laughs> do you <laughs> they just, do you think oh, oh, I mean, what you've encountered? Um, I mean, a lot of people who are trolling kids on the internet. Do you think they've had some sort of sexual abuse in their lives? The reason why they're doing uh, it themselves, and that's that's 
that's um so my opinion on that i doesn't i have thoughts on it but what i do is i said my thoughts don't matter let me go and see what the research says okay so i went in the research and i went to the clinicians the psychiatrists the psychologists and the therapists that are dealing with the number one issue coming in their office is internet addiction and inappropriate behavior on the internet that's the number one topic there's other behaviors in that but that's the number one topic that's related to that. And what is being reported by them, this disruptive behavior, which we'll categorically call trolls, which I don't like, but I'll use the word because people understand it. That behavior is a function of chemical, emotional, psychological, or relational deficiencies. So people that are that may be autistic or bipolar have some chemical problem in their head. They are victims of abuse, as you pointed out. They're victims of parents that are not connected to them. They are manifesting this behavior. Maybe they're getting attention from it. Maybe they're feeling a sense of self-worth by doing this, but that is a mask, which is a hiding away from an other pain in that person. So I, I summarize that by saying victims are also victimizers. The very simple way of saying that. Somebody that has been abused to help make their abuse feel better, they, they'll go out and abuse others. Okay. That's not all, but that is the overwhelming majority of that behavior. People that their parents aren't home, they don't give them attention, they're depressed, they have high anxiety. One way to make that feel better is let me just go spew filth in another way. Tell our audience what stories have you encountered? Obviously, there's a lot of hard... I'm sure you've come across a lot of, I don't know, testimonies, people who've been been involved or kids that have been involved. You've probably listened and heard the things that have been caught up in this. Uh, what's, tell us, some, is there any gripping stories that you can talk about without breaking oh, confidential? So they, yeah, they, they happen all the time. I mean, I could almost pull up my twi Twitter feed and, and give you something that's that's a couple days or hours old. Um, oops, I, my wife is coming down for a second. Let me excuse myself. Well, while Brian's uh, speaking to his wife, we'll take a quick commercial break and uh, we'll come back and do in a few seconds. Enjoying the show? Tell us about it. Send us your feedback, suggestions, or thoughts to hattrickandramsey at gmail.com. <laughs> This show is brought to you by EdinburghDusters.com and IdeasGoingLive.com.
Shinobi Ninja. So welcome back from the commercial break. Uh, we are back with Ryan Miller, who's talking about internet child safety. Um, so tell us, offhand, tell us the stories that you have encountered, if you can recollect any at present. I, I'll share one that, that um, bear with me one second, because this just happened the other day. These are very hard. Mm-hmm. These are very hard. So let me get to Stacy. I think it's a good to I think it's good to understand that some of the things that are actually going on and he, so people can under, hear who are listening to this podcast uh there's some of the things that actually go on out there as you realize that this is a serious topic it's serious that is going on whether it's in the news or not in the news there's these things are happening every day whether you're in the UK whether you're in America, whether it's in different parts of the world, there's not necessarily just being kids being groomed, but the abuse of children, women, men is a big she wants all around the world. Patricia. So we're going to get the story from Ryan now of a girl from that comes to Stacy. Or now this is okay. So I I have um, based upon what I do on Periscope, I give people the ability to share things to a hashtag in which I take action on. And uh, unfortunately, the ability to filter out the ones that have a positive ending is really hard because I'm not in the position in trying to intervene to help someone's child that I am always successful in having a positive ending. Um, so it, it, it's, it's very hard. My, my percentage of success of intervention is sub single digit. So for me to cultivate or go through a series of issues that have a positive outcome, that's not the reality to me. That's picking and choosing something that's positive when it's only 1%. Why would I want to exemplify the reality by pulling out the minority? So I, I appreciate the request that you want a positive outcome, but I that's not real. Yeah. That's that is not real. When you're in intervention and what's happening out here, so just, just for, I'm gonna give me two seconds. Just for those who are listening to this, in case we are doing this on Blabber.im, which is a platform, uh, just have a recording facility in which we can record interview people through our podcast. Yes, it is a video chat as well as the audio. 
we do have uh, visitors, audience watching. So you ask the odd question in the side sidebar. So just uh, obviously we're just re referring to some of the questions as well, but also trying to concentrating on what's the the main aspect of the interview. But we appreciate the comments as well. Uh, so carry on with the story, please. Sure. So I'm I'm going to um, I'm not going to read it word for word, but I'm going to paraphrase as I'm reading through it. So I'm not going to re re real names or account names or or such. Mm -hmm. So this was a this is what comes into me via direct Twitter message at the rate of anywhere from five to fifteen times per day, and this is not a good thing or a bad thing. This is right in the middle. This, what I'm gonna retell you is not the bad of the bad and it's not the light of the light. It's right in the middle. So uh, blank account is live streaming on Periscope right now. The woman is passed out cold, dead to the world, almost nude. The broadcast is going out to over 800 people. The man is right now disrobing the woman and physically slapping her, filming her without her knowledge. This is the third one that I've seen by the same broadcaster in the same environment in the past hour. Same voice, but he has gone to a different account and set up a different account as well. I reported them on this platform, but there's no action that can be taken. I tried to intervene in the broadcast to ask the broadcaster to please make sure the woman is alive. Physically move her to make, make sure she's alive. She in turn sends me a screenshot of the broadcast, a screenshot of the broadcaster's name, some images that are happening real time. I just went back in to ask him to please have her say something to prove that she was okay and he said, there's thousands watching that enjoy and don't care. You say something else and I will block you. She was subsequently blocked. I went into that account after I received this message. I in turn downloaded the broadcast and went through an investigation process to find out who this individual was and reporting on social media is doesn't matter. Um, this woman was subsequently raped on live stream on Periscope to 800 people that were watching this and more. It was being shared. There were pictures being taken. This girl had been obviously drugged because she was unconscious. In the reporting process, even with the evidence I did, the social media platform did nothing. I did everything in my power to identify this person, but they were pretty crafty and they had some tools to hide them. And I was now confronted with how much money do I need to spend to go and one, find this individual and to provide information and find this girl that was done that. For me, that would have been around a $1,500 investment for someone else's child to do something. Sadly, I didn't have $1,500 to go and seek justice on this situation. So here was somebody who is operating with impunity on live streaming platforms that has drugged multiple women, have raped them live on 
live streaming platforms with no consequence. This is not the extreme. This is normal. This was not something low. Low is just vulgar and vile, just not that vulgar and vile. So that's, that is the world of, that's not anecdotal. That is my, part of my Twitter stream that comes into my direct message. Horrible is suicide that is happening real time. Sadly, these are children that are not orphans. My original point, 94% of kids, parents say their kids are safe on the internet. Mo they're not orphans. There are horrible things happening on the internet and it's, it's a bi-directional communication, Frazier. It's bi-directional. Your kid may have the best intentions, but the other side of that internet, that 800 people that were watching that broadcast were pulling this man down this path. That's what parents may not be aware of. So to, to some of the comments that had come in that, that your listeners cannot hear, it's, it's hard to tell an uplifting story of what happens with the positive ending. I do have those. I have been able to save people from suicide on Periscope. Do you, I have. Obviously, this story is very shocking, and it's obviously it's how these people are getting away with it is bad. Uh, with a question we have from one of our audience is, if you had gone to Periscope to, and maybe gone to the media, do you think Periscope might have blocked you, or do you think they would have been kind of... So, and that's a, that's a great question, and this goes into a deeper topic area, which people don't really understand. And uh, and it's I don't wanna put a tinfoil hat on, but I'm gonna speak the truth of what's happening in the United States. And sometimes truth is a difficult thing for people to fathom. Okay. But it, it begins with understanding the law, that privacy does not exist. So the only expectation in the US you have of privacy is inside of a secure dwelling, your home, an, an apartment, a hotel room, a camper, your physical place where you're residing overnight, you have privacy in that, in that environment. People can't look into your home. The other place of privacy is in a public restroom. Absent of those two environments, there is no expectation of privacy. People can shoot videos, take photos of you, and it is public information. Whenever somebody buys an electronic piece of hardware that is connected to the internet, those privacy requirements are provided to everybody that buys one. And whenever they click, I agree, or they signed a contract for that broadband connection in their home, or they signed that contract for the smartphone device, those terms of service are provided to them. The fact that they didn't read them or understand them is of no consequence to those corporations. It's no consequence to Virgin or BT or whoever it is. They've told the public, here's what, what will and will not happen and here are your obligations. So nobody reads that. Corporations know that pe people are so impulsive they won't look at the terms of service. And then it comes down to how is somebody violating a terms of service? Well, whenever you download an application or a software platform, you're not reading those terms of service either. So in the domain of live streaming, let's use Blab as an example. 
nobody knows what the terms of service or code of conduct is in Blab. They haven't read them. They don't know how that relates to the law. Blab is a platform where you can have 13-year-olds come in. However, the legal responsibility comes into the parent who can have the assign the authority for that minor child to use Blab. The law says you can't enter into a contract with a minor child. So these are complex issues dealing with privacy, dealing with the law. But when you take it into the age of in the, the necessity of reporting and what is the obligation of a social media platform to report, you have to adhere to their terms of service and what you do in reporting. And you have to do it exactly correctly or it doesn't warrant a response. And the other question was related to would media respond? Media will not respond. Social media platforms will not respond because this is a user issue. This is a parent issue. It's not the software provider's issue. It's not exploitation issue. And the real thing for the United States is, I can't speak about the UK, Fraser, mm -hmm. is that this type of behavior that I just read about our current administration for the past eight years and his different um, attorney generals are not prosecuting these crimes. They have cho selectively chosen what they will and will not prosecute. It is well documented that these type of things will not be prosecuted by this current administration. Okay. So it's a multifaceted issue. It's horrible, but this is a parent. This is a parent issue. So let's now we've kind of so we've tapped on the, the obviously the issues that the, 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 the grim side of it. With let's talk about the positive issues going forward because what's you've you've have had contact with police in America and you you're bringing awareness to police the police in the UK. Tell yes. us the positive outcomes that you've had so far by doing that and how, oh, you, sure. and how you aim to go forward in taking this, obviously, to hopefully at least bring down a percentage of child abuse and obviously children who are groomed online so we can help keep child safe online on the internet. That's, that's great. That's, that's, that's great. So let me, let me outline a two-prong approach. One, I... I want to deal with this, this issue on a proactive way. So my website, parentdome.com, is meant to be the educational platform and resource for parents that want to be proactive in keeping their children safe on the internet. So that is what I offer to people. It's a membership relationship that there's constantly content information being updated to help them gain additional awareness talk about how to manage the oversight and the various levels of control. So that is the proactive side of the equation. The proactive side of the equation, I was hopeful would help fund more in the reactive side of the equation. Unfortunately, people want me to be more active on the reactive than they do on the proactive, but I have limited resources to do that. So on to answer your question, on the reactive side, I'm the advocate. I am being receiving these reports of the dangerous things that are happening with people and kids and adults on the internet. I bring together my resources to help intercede from somebody making a permanent life altering decision, such as suicide, use that as an example, that I will 
rally a team of people to intervene to get whatever first responders are available in an area. So in the U.S., I will do what I do with my team for that person that's attempting to commit suicide to get them the help that could be happening in Boston, Massachusetts. At the same time, if there's something that we that happens on the global platform in the UK, I have resources to do that. And we have had success in the UK. There's, I've had probably four people that have taken their lives in the UK, but I've actually been able to save one life in the UK because we had able to respond in a, in a rapid enough manner. Um, but that's, that's a key issue is how quick will you have the ability to get the resources there to intervene? So um, I try to help on the proactive side by giving parents the tools and resources to take the steps themselves. And then the other side is the reactive, which I have limited resources for, for doing that. And that, that's unfortunate. Um, and there's not many people with the skills on how to deal with the reactive side. It's, it's um, you need therapeutic intervention, psychiatric, professional peace, police, law enforcement. Tell us, well, you've now, you've, I mean, what's your, have you, are you forecasting? Do you have a goal? Do you have, a, obviously, the coming year? Um, what's your forecast to kind of get things moving or how do you want to improve this? You've been doing it in four years. You've said, you've said you've been doing it for about a year and a, 18 months, a year and a half. Um, so what's your, have you got a plan, a goal to say, I've reached this step, I want to reach that, that, and that. Yeah, my, my goal is to have my message be heard by every parent so that they could take advantage of the information that I have to help them keep their children safe. Um, because of this particular messaging type, it doesn't resonate with parents. So my goal will never be achieved. And I... I I recognize that. So it's just a matter of me being like a warrior and keep going into the battle that I will try to speak to everyone that I can build on in the army to fight this battle. And um, I can't facilitate change. I need to pierce conscience to, to help facilitate change. So it's kind of a mission, Fraser. It's a mission. And there's never really not a milestone chart you can put with the mission because you're really trying to affect people's thinking. Mm -hmm. Well, just to backtrack, what kind of, what opposition have you had personally while doing this? Because you have had a lot of trolls. You had people who maybe disagreed with what you're trying to do. Um, what, and you just give us a quick couple of scenarios yes. that people have tried to stop you from doing what you're doing, just to backtrack a little bit. So there, there's various types of opposition. One form of opposition is those in the predator community that say things that no matter what you say, Ryan, we're going to get access to those children. And that's a true statement. I can't disagree with that statement because these, the, these people are saying parents are not aware how we do what we do and we're going to get them anyway. And it's a truthful statement. Uh, so I can't, it's, it makes me very sad to acknowledge it's a truthful statement. That's why I am fighting this evil that is trying to grab grab kids. And they're doing it every day, every single day. And um, so I have that army of people 
that want me to shut up and not have people change their behavior so they still have a clean crop of children that they can groom. So that's that. there's that whole community. There's another community which is right, just come into my visibility and I had no idea how big and powerful it was. And it's called DFU. And this is departure from family of origin. And this is a cult across the globe which is designed to separate parents and children. And they use the internet to do that. So that's something I had no idea it was so organized. So that's an, another side that the DFU type of group, then it's those that just want to behave without accountability and be disruptive on the internet. So we'll call those the trolls. The trolls want to be able to operate with impunity and inflict harm. Those people want me to shut up. And then parents also want me to shut up. Okay. Because they don't necessarily want to be confronted with what they're identifying as a judgmental message. Okay. How can people get hold of you if they want to learn about Ryan Miller? How can if they want to get help from you or information uh, or learn something? How how can people uh, watch your website? You can tell it out. You can tell us tell the audience what your website is. Okay. So I uh, my website is parent, as in the family unit parent dome d o m e, which I use that as a metaphor for putting parents under the protection of awareness of what's happening out there. So parentdome.com. And at that location, um, I provide links to my other social media presences where I have archives of information. I have tremendous amount of free content that I give away, which is really helpful for people to just take the first steps. And then I give them an invitation to be part of the Parent Dome family membership. Um, and there's lots of links in there. You get more information about me, my journey, what my membership looks like. Um, what else is in there? Gosh, there's tons of content. In the membership portion, there's close to 350 lessons along with actual research data. So I take the research documents and make that available so people can reconcile what I'm teaching based upon what the science says. So that's how you can get in touch with me. And there's my contact information is there as well. So if you want to, well, obviously for people who are listening, you can contact Ryan through his website. He's just said, so if you want to, how would you summarize what you've, everything that you've talked about uh, just for our audience who are listening? Sure. A, a good summary of, of who Ryan Miller is and parent dome is that I, um, I approach my subject about wanting to help caregivers and parents keep their children safe in a digitally immersed life by talking about awareness, oversight, and controls. I do that from love, life, and hope, non-judgment, that all parents do what they do based upon what they know where they are, and I just provide the tools, resources, information for you to make your own decisions based upon where you want your child to become moving forward and how the internet can be a support of that or it could be an obstacle of that. So that's, and the parentdome.com is meant to be a family of people that are taking the steps 
to eliminate their child's digital tattoo and permanent permanent challenges on the internet. Perfect. So that's my summary. Well, thank you very much, Ryan, for being a part of the Hatchick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast show. And hopefully this message will, this interview will be listened to many people around the UK and across the world. And we thank you for your time. Thank you for your message. Thank you for your hard work and what you're trying to do in keeping kids safe online. And we hope that this will be a benefit to many who are listening to this. And just to say, put, go out there. Don't be afraid that uh, of what's out to approach your child. Don't be afraid to uh, listen to what's going on out there. Uh, it is a, a it's, it's fact. It's happening, and it's scary. So don't be scared. Don't feel that you're. Don't put up the barriers when somebody who is, knows the insight of what's going on going on out there. Let them let them help you. Let somebody like Ryan or somebody else who who's involved in this um, area of helping ch child safety online. Please contact them. Don't be afraid. Don't put the barriers because all they're trying to do is to help uh, you keep your kids safe and not be groomed in any way. Uh, just for help them not be corrupted in, in, in some way in their minds. But thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being on our show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it, Fraser, and uh, having the opportunity and time to, to talk with you. And it was good seeing you again and a uh, pleasure to meet your audience. Okay, thank you very much. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Ryan Miller talking about child internet safety or keeping children safe online. We do appreciate you listening to us and we thank you for your support we ask that you continue to support Ryan in his uh, campaign or project to keep children safe from trolls and grooming online we thank you for that please go to parentdome.com and please support the cause of what Ryan's doing if you need information please contact him or if you know somebody else but please share this and thank you for your support um, for listening to our podcast stay hard, stay hungry peace, love and hugs and remember, thank you because you guys drive us to make this better every time we record it so bye bye now <laughs>